Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. dedicated to Henry Farmer. In the years of the primal force, the dawn of terrestrial birth, man mastered the mammoth and horse, and man was the lord of the earth. He made him an old skin. Good afternoon, good evening, good whomever, good whatever. Welcome to Agitators Anonymous. I'm going to try and speak a little bit slower this week. Maybe a bit like this. Maybe that's the best way. Get a touch of the Barry White in my voice. There's you go. A modern cultural reference. Why is that? Some people said that I was gabbling a bit too fast last time. What can I say? If you're an Irishman with the gift of the gab, sometimes you have to just roll with it and let all those words out. Welcome to episode 170-something or other. Um, I must admit, before we even begin, that my brain is a little bit fried because all week I've been doing primordial interviews, um, four or five a day, and it hasn't left me much time to uh, prepare something for the podcast. So this one is a bit of a random episode, something that's been knocking around in my brain for a while. So you'll have to forgive me um, the fact that it's not exactly that prepared or that kind of thing. And also Primordial is playing in um, the luxurious um, Venice of the North, uh, Drogheda, uh, tonight. There used to be a thrash metal band from America called Drogheda, I think. I don't know where they got the name from. I presume they maybe just looked at a map somewhere in the 1980s and went Drogheda. That sounds kind of cool and a bit Tolkien-esque. Well, that's where we're going. If you're a member of the band Drogheda, Drogheda, you get in free tonight. Just get the plane over. You've got about eight, nine hours. I think if you leave now, you should get there. I'll put your name on the door. Former member of the band Drogheda. If I'm not incorrect, they were on Wild Rags Records. Anyway... Agitators Anonymous, what am I talking about? What I'm going to talk about today is Rain and Blood by Slayer. I mean, of course, every metalhead um, in the whole world has had this variance, variations of this discussion. But it basically, during lockdown, the bunch of us who were meeting up, hiding out in our um, underground bunkers and cellars and uh, staying off the streets, I think Slayer was maybe one of the most watched uh, bands. We were, a bunch of us kind of got sucked into just watching old Slayer videos, live shows, the the incredible Ultimate Revenge, which is, I think, maybe my 
favourite ever footage of any band. It's Slayer, Exodus and Venom. And Venom apparently were so unhappy with the footage that they didn't want um, their uh, end of it to be put on the video. Theirs is a kind of staged performance of Witching Hour from Not Correct and loads of daft interviews. Um, and when you watch the Slayer performance, it's not hard to see why. I mean, Exodus... Exodus Kill It. Of course, Bond of My Blood is one of the greatest thrash metal albums ever. And one of the greatest metal albums ever. But Slayer is... Um, just that bit above the whole thing. And it's absolutely incredible footage, including the fact that there's no lights, there's no smoke, there's no smoke and mirrors, there's no big stage show, there's, you know, it's just them in a small club, absolutely crushing, ferocious, terrifying stuff. And truth be told, probably Hell Awaits is my favourite Slayer record, but that might just be because I got it first. So I'm going to talk about Rain and Blood, I'm going to talk about its legacy, I'm going to talk about um, various things to do with it, and well, let's see if we can get a podcast out of that. Um, I would confess and say that I wasn't into Slayer in 1986 when this came out. It came out at the end of 1986. Um, so this will also be over on my YouTube, a video of me discussing this. So if you want to go over and see my ugly mug um, discuss this, then you uh, certainly can do that. Um, but for now... Um, Let's just continue talking about this record. Um, I'm trying to do two things. A couple of things different. A couple of different things at the same time here. My brain is all over the place. So let's go. Rain, I mean, there is, is this the greatest, is this the greatest um, metal album of all time? It's very possible. It's very possible. But one thing I think, um, just going over its legacy is, and I'm going to try and just talk off the cuff a bit about it, you know. Um, this... I, I can't confess to, like I said, or I was beginning to say before I was distracted there, I can't confess to having heard it in 1986. I'm not quite that old. But certainly um, I got Hello Waits um, maybe in 1987, the end of 1987. So South of Heaven was the first record that I remember coming out and being into Slayer and looking forward to, you know, oh, there's a new Slayer album. And I heard Rain and Blood just before South of Heaven. So that's somewhere in 1988. And over the years, of course, you learn more about the context of the record. You begin to, um, even a year or two after the record, it's one thing that's crazy as a metalhead, is that in 1988, um, 1983 seemed like a lifetime ago. So, you know what I mean? You got into metal in 1987, 88, and you were like, oh, wow, Kill Em All is 1983, Show No Mercy is 1983. And those four or five years seemed like an eternity. But in reality, now that we're in 2023... They're, you know, they're 35 years ago. So, you know, 1995 is nearer to 1960, so to speak. You know, that's the same breadth of time, 1960 to 1995, than from now to when these records come out. And that breaks my brain um, in a way. And I think most metalheads of a certain age, um, in the from the late 80s, early 90s, um, will have, that will also break their brain on some level as well, because you just, you, I kind of often think about records that came out in the early 2000s, as new but I mean if you're 20 years old you weren't even born in the year 2000 um, you know Violent Revolution by Creator that for me is a new Creator record that was their return to form um, that's already 23 years old and so it's already older than in the year 2000 Terrible Certainty was um, 13 years 1987 yeah I think Terrible Certainty is 1987 isn't it it is indeed um, but there's something about Rain and Blood right that when we were in 
the um, I'm, if you're listening on the podcast now, that's the sound of me opening the sleeve. And of course, this is the version with the lyrics. As I understand, um, the very first versions after the album was delayed for a while as they figured out whether they were going to print the lyrics or not. And because of Angel of Death, I mean, what album opens with the line Auschwitz, the meaning of pain, the way that I want you to die? I mean, this is just taking things to just some other level that, you know, literally nothing else is on. And that's kind of where I wanted to begin with Rain and Blood, because for me, Rain and Blood was um, and is it's the first record that for people outside of metal, um, that was no fucking joke like that. You could play this to anybody, whether they were into hip hop or pop music, and it would literally scare the hell out of them. Before that, you know, of course, Maiden and Priest had their metal image, um, you know, Maiden in their tight lycra bumblebee stuff and, um, you know, Priest with the, um, you know, with the Halford kind of leather daddy look. Um, and, you know, Kill em All is still, you know, life to no life to leather. We're going to kick some ass tonight and Show No Mercy is still on honor and, you know, and... Um, there's a certain, of course, almost like gonzo journalism goofiness to early 80s heavy metal, which is its beauty. Don't get me wrong. But Annie Hallowaites, of course, is dark. It's dark as hell. In fact, I would say Haunting the Chapel is the first moment where Slayer really fired a shot across everyone's bows and went, this is serious stuff. I mean, Haunting the Chapel is almost death metal. I think the song Haunting the Chapel is more death metal than maybe any other song that they made. But there is something... And I don't use the word, you know, in its, you know, I suppose it's biblical, predictable meaning, but there's something evil about Rain and Blood. There's something genuinely actually um, scary about it, something terrifying, something horrifying. And it was the first record, I think, um, that came out. And it's the artwork as well. There's no joke about the artwork, although I always thought that the little, um, the little uh, papal dude here looked a bit like Prince Charles, which always kind of pissed me off a bit. Um, but... It's the first record where metal, I think, could be taken deadly seriously. No one could laugh at it. No one. I mean, you could pick up a copy of Ride the Lightning and go, OK, Ride the Lightning. It's got an electric chair on the front and still be a bit if you're a bit of a, you know, snobby Talking Heads fan or something. You could go, hmm. Um, you know, Master Puppets, of course, came out the same year and you can, you know, there's very little that anybody could poke fun at that. But Rain and Blood is kind of, it's the big dog in the room. It's absolutely merciless there isn't a single ounce of flesh or flab on this record nothing it is mercilessly produced and i still think it's the most extreme record or the most the most brutal the most violent metal record ever made of course you can point to morbid angel and deicide but this um it's the first record that it feels to me where the outside world went jesus fucking christ listen to this this is where metal is it's no longer a joke it's no longer goofy it's no longer kind of like ha look at this um spotty teenagers spotty oiks music it the whole thing just raised up a level and fuck knows what it was like if you were in a thrash band at that time um, i can only imagine if you were in Exumer or um living death or sacrifice or something all three great bands um and you went out to the record shop and you called your buddy on the phone and you went, Dave, Dave, you got to get down here. I got the new Slayer. And that moment where the needle hit, hit the turntable and Angel of Death came on. I mean, has an album started more out of the gate? Um, is there an album that started in a more ferocious way than Rain and Blood with Angel of Death? And, you know, it's lyrics and music, Hanneman. Um, post-mortem lyrics and music, Hanneman. 
and music, Raining Blood, Hanuman, Reborn, Hanuman, Ultra Sacrifice Music, Hanuman. I mean, this is looking at the back of this here. Okay, piece by piece, music, lyric and music's king. Um, but the, the majority of the music on this is, is, is Jeff Hanuman. You can go on YouTube and you can find, there's also a vinyl of it, which are Hanuman's um, guitar and drum machine, I think, demos for Rain and Blood. And you realize this is his sort of, um, this is his climbing the peak of his um, absolute violent creativity. And the album was delayed for a while because of Angel of Death. I think Geffen, I mean, I see the logo on the back here, but they didn't want their logo on it originally, as I read. Um, and it's such a brutal way to start a record. I mean, I don't know if you, any of you have looked on that YouTube, the sort of AI-generated lyric video, and there's one for Angel of Death where AI has taken the lyrics and sort of gone through them. And it is, uh, like, it's absolutely kind of an incredible uh, interpretation of the lyrics, but it's so fucking dark. I mean, this is, this is subject matter that nobody would have dared touch in 1986. And I don't think you'd be able to get away with it now. I think, I think a band writing, opening their album with Auschwitz, The Meaning of Pain, this would be called NS Thrash Metal or whatever. And throughout the lyrics, I mean, reading the lyrics, it seems to me that there's no judgment. There isn't a... There isn't a judgment on the character of Joseph Mengele in them. It's just a sort of explanation of, in a very violent way of what happened. And I suppose now that would be judged in a much harsher way than it was in 1986. Like you read the lyrics of Carnivore or something, um, you know, the first Carnivore album or the second Carnivore album especially, and this is on Roadrunner. They, I don't think these bands would be able to get away with this. And that speaks volumes to where we are as a culture, as a society, in my sense, in a sense that so many albums from the 70s and 80s um, probably wouldn't get past the uh, rank and file employees who would be too sensitive to be able to um, handle the record or press the record or maybe I'm being wrong maybe I'm being grumpy old man shouts at clouds and um, it's very possible that I am but I have a feeling this would be on a tiny small it would be on Hell's Helm Headbangers or something and would sell like 6,000 copies or something um, it, it wouldn't be the uh, genre-defining huge record. I mean, I don't know if it sold a million copies. I presume Rain and Blood should be 1.2, 1.3 million, 1.1 million or something like that. I presume it should be about sitting around about that million and a half copies, maybe. Um, I should have probably looked that up before I just randomly threw that out there. Disinformation, misinformation. But um, it's only 29 minutes long and it just literally has not a single ounce of flab on it. Now, I mean, I think that an awful lot of the production, it says produced by Rick Robin and Slayer, but the real hero of this album, it feels to me, is um, Andy Wallace. Because the engineering, nothing has sounded like this before. It even makes Master Puppets, which is an amazing sounding record, and Peace Salesman, who's buying the other um, sort of trifecta of brilliant albums from 86. I mean, of course, Among the Living is from the, I think Among the Living is the beginning of 87, but it's around the, about the same period. But they all took a huge step up production-wise, but this is, this is um, on, a, on, a, on a completely other, completely different level. Def Jam is such a weird choice, but it seems that Ruben met the band at um, some sort of European music convention and really, really pushed to have them um, and previous to that, Def Jam was known for like LL Cool J and Run DMC. Um, my mate, I used to have a mate uh, across the road I used to play snooker with. This is a bit of a, an aside. And we used to listen to records and play snooker in his house when we were like kids. And he always used to play LL Cool J. And he was fascinated by Rain and Blood because of that. And so um, he just couldn't believe when I brought this over. They're like, well, this is on 
Def Jam, which was known for, I mean, he was into Public Enemy, Enemy and LL Cool J and stuff. And you probably heard me talk about how much I liked the first, um, first one, two Public Enemy albums at the time. Um, anyway, I digress. Um, it's a very strange choice for a label. Most of the other trash bands at the time were going with, you know, Capitol Records or making that step up. And I have to say that there was the old heavy metal scene brought out those young thrash bands. I mean, Slayer were brought up by Wasp when Wasp were on, I guess, inside the Electric Circus. I mean, fucking hell, Slayer fans were so rabid at the time. I cannot see them putting up with the cowboy Wasp, like the cowboy Electric Circus Wasp. And apparently they didn't really. Um, Megadeth were brought out by Alice Cooper. Um, well, you know, which is where the No More Mr. Nice Guy cover comes from, I think, is a sort of debt of gratitude, um, even though that's kind of, weirdly enough, as a huge Megadeth fan, when No More Mr. Nice Guy came out, I um, kind of clocked out of Megadeth for a little while. Um, Metallica were brought out by Ozzy, right? Um, which, you know, I mean, we're, we're talking 86, 87. So 88 is No Rest for the Wicked. What Ozzy record would that be? I suppose that would be Post Ultimate Sin, maybe. Um, you're probably shouting at me in the comments that that's wrong. And Anthrax seemed to have got the plum one. They they were brought up by Iron Maiden in 88. So all those, the big four got a big step up and a big helping hand from rock and thrash metal, which I have to say that they never quite gave back to death metal when death metal came up. Like in 1991, Slayer never brought out Obituary, so to speak. You know, they, Megadeth never brought out Sepultura. Um, there seemed to be... It seemed to, you know, Megadeth didn't bring out, or Metallica didn't bring out the bands um, in the, you know, late 80s, early 90s. Now, probably Joe from Gamma Bomb is going to say, well, they brought out Armored Saint and Overkill. Well, maybe they did. I don't think so. But they certainly didn't give death metal the leg up that the thrash metal bands got from heavy metal. But there's a feeling, I remember getting a cassette of this somewhere in 88 and letting a couple of people hear it and who were not into metal. And it, it literally... They couldn't fathom what was going on at all. And now you read back and you go through reviews in the music press and all this kind of stuff. Now the album is named as, oh, you know, like seventh heaviest album of all time, blah, blah, blah. blah. Well, those albums ahead of it better be fucking Black Sabbath or there's going to be trouble. I couldn't be bothered going through the hundred list. But what? Really? What? Really? You're going to put like, I don't know, Slipknot as heavier than this? Maybe if you're a 21 year old kid, I don't know. But the thing about... Thrash metal, in a sense, like this. To me, thrash metal is more brutal than death metal. That may be controversial, but um, it's because death metal, in a sense, like, oh, don't get me wrong, Autism Madness is, for me, almost the equivalent of this record. But death metal became uh, too choppy technical for a lot of bands and less about actual just violence, aggression. And that's the key to Rain and Blood, is that it is, it's make metal hate again. It is so spiteful, so fucking hateful. And that's what makes it so beautiful is it's 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 sheer unbridled, some would say toxic masculinity. And that's its glory. It's it's dumbness is its glory. And I don't mean that in an offensive sense. I mean, that it is an absolute blunt force trauma. Um, it's an absolute brick to the head. There's nothing. There's no second guessing any moment on it. There's no. Um, allusions to what we've got to put in this to seem progressive. We've got to seem that it's just absolute stripped down super muscular um, it's like the Usain Bolt of extreme music you know what I mean it's it's the 100 meter dash never to be beaten um, by you know in my opinion it will never be topped it will never be nothing will ever be as lean and mean and violent 
as as rain and blood and that's what's beaut that's what makes it beautiful that's what it's that's its glory is that there's nothing second guessing it there's no element which is maybe we should shouldn't write that maybe we shouldn't put those lyrics in there's no sop to what we consider now part of modern society um, modern culture this constant um, affirmation of or this constant need to um, always second guess your instinct with um, I suppose the sort of damping down of that atavistic primal spirit is what I'm trying to get to and that's what rain and blood is rain and blood is pure animal it's pure instinct it's again it's 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 just fueled with spite and hatred when and all of these things which are the original blueprint of heavy metal the original original testosterone and adrenaline pushed to the max it's not meant to be um, and intellectually analysed or thought about too hard. Of course, the songwriting chops and the playing, and you've got Dave Lombardo, one of the greatest drums errors ever. I mean, of course, the playing is incredible. You know, you think they're not good musicians? Get the fuck out of here. Because this is before cut and paste, and this is before digitalization. This is when a band actually had to rehearse every fucking day to be this tight. And there isn't a note out of place. There isn't a donk, donk. There isn't... You, you barely even hear any um, any clunks or anything at all in the production. And you know that's them in a room playing together. Um, and it may sound strange to say, but this was back in a time when metal was, you know, it was virgin territory. It was primitive. It was, it didn't second guess itself like now, because I think that, you know, society in a sense kind of knows too much to be this, this instinctual sometimes. Not all the time, but at least in the mainstream. Um, and it's like... You know, I'm trying to think of a, um, you know, we in Ireland, we've had a great history of banning novels and banning writers. I'm trying to think of something very primal. Um, I don't know. Nothing comes to mind. That was a good moment in a podcast. Wasn't a good moment in a video. Um, I will surely think of something as soon as I press the stop button. But getting back to that idea that this is... um, its glory, its beauty, it's the thing that will never be better is, is that it has no element of second guessing. It's no element of um, confused and um, compromised uh, pseudo-intellectuality about it. It's just rain and blood. Um, and it's before, oddly enough, it's before Araya gets any writing credits. I think after this record, they kind of split into two camps um, and they weren't really getting along very well. But... Araya comes in in South of Heaven with some brilliant lyrics. Mandatory Suicide, South of Heaven is a, a brilliant lyric. It's, I, I mean, where could Slayer go after that? I think they could only go to South of Heaven. Now, there's another universe um, somewhere, you know, in the in the quantum string, um, thrash metal th- um, universe, where Slayer follow Spill the Blood, South of Heaven, into Seasons in the Abyss, and a kind of more mature, darker, slower songwriting thing, and they don't go backwards to Divine Intervention and then all the records that followed after that, songs about rugby and stuff like this. Um, but Araya introduces a very dark fundament element to South of Heaven. And I think that's the only place they could have gone. And that's the album, the first one where I joined right as it came out. Um, I can only imagine, as I said, the competition. If you're Destruction or whoever else and the day you come back from the record store with this and you just think, Jesus Christ... The competition, like there, it just got very hot in the kitchen. How do we? How are we even able, even able to um, compete with this? Um, of course, the legacy is that Jeff Hanneman died. I saw the um, the I saw the show at um, VAC, and I think in two thousand and six, 
Um, and they, you know, the third, the twenty-year anniversary show, and it was great. I mean, I saw a, a, quite a few Slayer shows. One of the best ones was in about two thousand. Myself and Darren Invictus went, and they played like loads of old songs. They played Necrophiliac. They played Chemical Warfare. All sorts of amazing old stuff. But um, that show in Vakin in two thousand six. My unfortunately, one of my best memories of it is um, Vader coming on afterwards and being like a third as loud again, which was kind of annoying that Slayer's sound man seemed to play it so um, so safe. What else, what else have we got here? If you're listening on the podcast, you won't see this, but you might see it on YouTube. Uh, Criminally Insane 12-inch remix. Um, again, I don't really understand. I used to have the 7-inch of this, which I've never seen ever before, and a friend of mine stood on it. He was in my room... Um, pretending to play air guitar and headbanging so much I have a feeling he might have been sniffing glue as well and then he fell over and went and stood on it made a little hole on it and then he agreed to buy it off me for five pounds uh, which was a lot in 1990 um, Aggressive Perfector the first song Slayer ever recorded um, this is like the you know this is on the um, old Metal Blade samplers Aggressive Perfector um I presume most people have this. Criminally Insane is one of the oddest songs on it with that infamous drum beat. Then you have Postmortem. Um, cool image. Great shirt from the time. Um, and again, it kind of has the same songs on it, which is bizarre. Postmortem, Criminally Insane remix version and then Aggressive Perfector. So Postmortem is just this along with the song Postmortem. Um, you know they couldn't have put any demos on it I have one shirt this won't make much sense to you on podcast but this is the ugly dog um, sort of cow head dog devil thing or whatever I bought that somewhere in 1987 maybe in Virgin was it Virgin Megs or not it actually it has the rain and pain dates on the back but they're so can you see that who knows you can't see that it's so old Um incredibly ugly shirt as, mo as an awful lot of Slayer merch was um, for some reason they um, I don't know whether they outsourced all their merch designs to somebody who just hadn't got a clue but there's a few cool ones the Ultra Sacrifice ones with all the little devils and the Slatanic Wehrmacht one is cool but even on the last show I saw them the kind of farewell tour lots of the backdrops and lots of the hangings you're like it really is that the best we can do the AI artwork on the Angel of Death video on YouTube was far more evil than the backdrops they had hanging um, but like I said um, there's just something gloriously um, almost like gonzoid just like absolutely um, how can we say relent utterly relentless about rain and blood um, there isn't a single note out of place I'm running out of hyperlatives really here which is kind of boring to listen to if you're listening to on a podcast um, reborn Jesus saves. I mean, that altar of sacrifice, did it, did it, Altar of sacrifice into Jesus saves is one of the greatest two moments. I mean, in every heavy metal album, when it it drags into that, dun, 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 and it's almost like um, what became known as like a breakdown. Of course, it had a big influence. There's no doubt about it on death metal, and you can hear lots of deaths, you know, death rash, and lots of lots of their riffs seeping into um, early death metal there's no doubt I mean you couldn't be in a band really and not be influenced by Slayer it's when I hear somebody say oh, I don't really like Slayer I always wonder like well, really 
kind of suggests to me that you don't really know anything about heavy metal if you don't really like Slayer. If you want to go and refer back to my, I made a YouTube video which was just only about, um, you know, going through the back catalogue of Slayer, which for me, I'm not even a huge fan of Seasons in the Abyss. I like it, of course, but I don't, I'm not a big fan of songs like Expendable Youth and, um, um, you know, the kind of, um, ghetto songs, what do you ever want to call them? You know, digga digga dunk 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 It seems like a bit of a dinky riff to me, but it's still a great record. And after that, ah, really nothing. But maybe, you know, in the grand scheme of things, Slayer gave us four of the most amazing records in heavy metal history, um, and possibly the greatest record in heavy metal history. And I think that, you know, heavy weighs the crown and all that kind of thing, and it weighs quite heavily over. And the band's creativity because you know heavy metal is a kind of um it's about the impetuous impetuosity of youth the um the early blueprint is just so linked to that incredible frenetic energy of um being a young person in the world and as i said not second guessing your motives or your instincts and being poor and fighting for every scrap and getting in the van and all those things that are the um, very instinctual impulses are very often define early heavy metal. They're very hard to return to when you're 50 years old or you're 55 or you're 60. Um, you can find your way back to the beginning and I quite enjoy the new Metallic and Megadeth records. They're not so bad. Um, but it's quite hard to tap back into that um, that incredible place you were at 21 years old, the wide-eyed um, way you viewed the world and full of aggression and testosterone and dumb, just being a dumb ferocious character in the world I'm doing lots of hand signals here um, if you didn't know on uh, the podcast but anyway um, it's a bit of a stopgap podcast I do actually admit that um, but and it will come out as a little video on my YouTube channel along with a few other things um, but my head is absolutely fried from doing interviews um, all week and I just was listening to Rain and Blood to just you know purge the senses and I thought God damn it, let's talk about Rain and Blood today. So my friends, Agitators Anonymous is um, in praise of death, we're only living to die, is 25 minutes of discussion. Actually, let's just, can I say stuff for 20 more seconds to bring it to the 29 minute mark so that this um, random ramble is almost exactly the length of Rain and Blood. You know me, of course. I have enough things to say for another 20 or 30 seconds. Um, like I said, go and check it out on YouTube channel and you can see my dumb face. I myself am off to play a gig. Um, and so my friends, Agitators Anonymous, I will see you next week. Keep the faith. Let's do it. <laughs>